Transmitting high atop of Florida's Peninsula, this is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 146, Use of Force, Old versus New. And we're going to really talk a lot about where the government, where these police agencies want to take us. They want to take us back to a time far, far, way back, an ancient time, prehistoric time in policing, and we'll explain why. Hey, listen, before I forget, I do want to talk about social networking, and, you know, you hear a lot of reports about Twitter and Facebook and all this uh, nonsense that they are constantly trolling accounts of conservatives and so forth. Well, I did a little bit of a empirical study on ours that we have on Radio Cop Nation, and there's no doubt that that's what is occurring. Therefore, I've come up to the decision that right after our presidential election on November 3rd, we will start as of November 8th disbanding or reducing greatly our social media accounts. We'll slowly start announcing which ones, but we're moving everything to Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R. And um, there you can pretty much express what you want and there's no real interference. And... Um, but we're doing it with a lot of caution. But uh, social media is uh, not only an evil that is being used by evil influences out there to move the narrative, but it's also something that is against your way of life. Now, you might have a different opinion than mine, fine. But uh, I'm not going to waste hours in a day looking at feeds and stuff like that. Those days are gone, and uh, we need to get, as a nation, we need to get back to basics and, and, and put all this uh, social media nonsense to the side. We still will be using it, and remember, in 2021, we will be going to YouTube and so forth, which is not any better, but uh, always very cautiously we move. How do you get in contact, us, contact with us? RaiderCopNation.com. It's that easy. 
and there you can uh, network with our website. And we we go through a lot of painstaking effort to get that website always working. So enjoy it. Hey, if you're interested in becoming a member of the USCCA, it's protection for you. Then do so by simply texting from your smartphone 87222 87222 and just text the word Raider R-A-I-D-E-R doesn't matter high, uh, uh, uppercase or lowercase and there they will send you a link and you can go ahead and consider joining the USCCA for a minimal amount of $22 a month up to $47 a month now many people might say well that's that's a lot of money I'm on a budget true but if you can see or carry holder and you get involved in an incident you don't know what spending is until the lawyers start picking your pocket for your freedom so consider it today USCCA not only that an abundance overwhelming amount of training available too and we're going to be talking more about that in the future with, with an episode um, in an abundance of caution because of the COVID-19 and the demonstrations riding in the safety of the general public, we've now are going to be putting public service announcements for your safety. And today we're going to feature about seven of them that are going to help you in your journey. All right, we'll play our first public service announcement, and then we'll head into the Word of the Week. Obey the law. Laws were made for a reason. Think of them as hints. You've heard people say, man, I wouldn't do that shit if I was you. Well, here's some of that shit. Carjacking, armed robbery, arson, selling drugs, buying drugs, stabbing, shooting. You know, you probably won't get your ass kicked if you just use common sense. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 10. And as always, you can understand more about this verse by listening to Test Everything 1521 that launches the same day this episode launches out. You can just go to RaiderCopNation.com and go to the tab up on the browser that says Test Everything. There you can hear this message, 15 minutes or less, that's all it's going to take for your salvation. In keeping with our theme in public information and in an abundance of caution, we will continue with our public service announcements. subway turnstile 
you might just get off with a warning from the police. But if you jump a turnstile carrying a loaded gun and smoking a joint, then maybe you need your ass. It's always important to advise the public on these very difficult times in an abundance of caution. And I forgot to mention, there is some potty mouthing. But remember, this is an adult arena. We got a lot to talk about, my friends. Use of force, old versus new, episode 146. And I'm going to start off with my outline. What, what are we going to be talking about? It's not very long. The subject is, I could talk about this forever and a day. But we are going to talk about one old versus new. What's the difference? And why is there a difference? Use of force curriculum, okay? Why are we going backwards? Point number two, we're going to look at the birth of amendment force. What in the world is that? Number three, how can we just walk away from 20 years of work on use of force? Impossible. Imagine building something, fixing something for 20 years and then some lunatic on the block says, no, 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 don't do it that way. Destroy all that. We'll do it, do it this way. Well, that's what's happening. We'll talk about the mythical eight can't wait campaign. Why is it the purpose of the eight can't wait campaign going to cause inconsistency? We'll explain what inconsistency it will cause and how that will mess everything up. And lastly, now we're moving towards transitional constitutional-based force and what that means. So we got a lot to talk about, but again, in an abundance of caution, another public service announcement. When you see flashing police lights in your mirror, stop immediately. Everybody knows, if the police have to come and get you, they're bringing an ass-kicking with you. Episode 146, Use of Force, Curriculums. We're going to talk about that. The old versus the new, and what's the difference and why did we get rid of the old one in the first place? And why is there a group of people out there that want the old one to come back? Now, I can teach on this one subject forever and a day. And it can become quite monotonous. Some of this um, episode, you're going to need to do some homework. Because then it would be an eight-hour episode, not a 30 or 45-minute one. So there might be some homework assignments for you, the listeners. But when we talk about the curriculum of how police officers have executed force in the past, we need to examine that the old continuum 
That's what it was called, continuum force. And continuum force is exactly that. Subject does, officer counters. So it's continuing, right? And the continuum force started the metamorphosis, let's say, late 60s, early 70s. And it started to it started out as being a instructional aid type of thing. So when you see the forms themselves, the charts, the continual charts, officers' presence there, first at the scene, uh, verbal encounter, it starts to show a slow progression. These things were not to be placed in policies they were instructional aid for instructors to teach recruits and officers continuum force. But because of the evolution of the continual force, every agency had their own model, their own interpretation. This was independent thinking 101. And everybody was plastering whatever they believed worked. And it became very confusing to the officer because we had to tell officers, this is what you're going to be doing, doing a dynamic, fluid use of force. That means the person is actively resisting you, trying to do great bodily harm to you, and you're going to robotically move. Just didn't make any sense. It was very difficult. It was like packing four or five pounds of manure in a little jar. And that was the standard. So why? Why did it disappear? Not only was it confusing, agencies started putting continuum force in their policies and they would read this stuff in their policies. Administrators would love it. They would say, this makes perfect sense. Now, I was a law enforcement officer during the continuum enforced era. And I remember uh, when I started, we would actually paste the chart to your report and you would kind of like indicate on the chart, subject was here and I was there. And uh, you know, you thought you were the smartest thing on the face of the earth. But what happens, what was happening behind the scenes, lawyers were killing continuum force because they were trying to show inconsistencies to juries and the courts were ruling on what an officer could and could not do. And we'll stay with that focus there too. So it was a instructional aid that all of a sudden ended up in everybody's policy. Departments are training on this. Officers are confused and they're left to have their own judgment after an event of force to kind of like pace all this together and that was the beginning of lunacy 
with the use of force. The departments became a little bit more erratic with it as the court started to make decisions in trying to change the teaching method, but the policy would remain the same as a continuum, making it even more crazy to understand. By the 1980s, continuum force is just falling apart at the seams as the court system is really killing it. So what is continuum force at this point? It is a stair-step model. Okay, so it's a stairs, and the officers have to take certain steps in this fluid and dynamic incident. Remember, that's very important. When an officer has to take out his weapon and make a split-second decision, shoot or not shoot, they want him on continuous force to use a stair-step model. This is crazy. And uh, the court started chopping away at it slowly and surely. standard amendment force as the courts start taking apart continuing force agencies now are losing more and more lawsuits because testifying to this mad system was almost an impossibility 20 years I've been poured into trying to put lipstick on a pig and Policing now has finally figured out, well, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. If the courts decide something, we're going to jump on the bandwagon with the courts because it's foolproof. And that was the beginning of Amendment Force, where the focus was teaching force on constitutional limitations, what the officer can and cannot do, making it must much more easy to train on. Can't do this. It's a bad. Okay. Make sure we tell the officers can't do this. They can do this. Let's teach them they can do that. In other words, it was the courts were starting to dislike continuum force more and more. And the courts now started saying, well, look, since the lunatics in... Society can't figure this out. We'll figure it out for them. New standards are born. And and it's specifically a clause called deliberate indifference. Now, this clause, and we have it down in the show notes so you can read it at your leisure, now starts to move the wheels. 
there are certain things that an officer may be liable for if they don't do it, right? You got a duty to act. And they start looking at cases like Tennessee versus Gardner, where basically the use of force of the use of deadly force to apprehend the subject is a seizure under the Fourth Amendment. So now search and seizure. So the force is considered a seizure. And the objective reasonable standard is placed by the courts. What type of seizure would be reasonable in the eyes of? And an example of that is a police officer may not seize an unarmed, non-dangerous, fleeing felon suspect by shooting him dead, right? Because he's unarmed. So there are limitations that the courts are putting. Now all of a sudden they can frame use of force. They looked at another case called Graham versus uh, Connor, and in that they expanded the post-incident analysis to include use of force identifying specific constitutional um, infringements or rights of infringements and the amount of force that can be used, reviewing it as a reasonable test. So I'll give you a brief example. subject was um, confronted by the officer because they were illegally parked. Officer attempted to give him a parking ticket. Subject refused to take the parking ticket. Officer took out his uh, PR-24 and smashed the suspect over the head. And not reasonable, right? So again, that was a little bit of a, of a stretch on my, on my part. So we're down to 1985, 1989. Uh, Graham versus uh, Connor, which in 1989. And now it's going to take the states, and especially my state, which was Florida, it took 10 years, um, literally 10 years, before they said, you know what, we can start adopting amendment force. This is how messed up the continuum curriculum was and and the use of force policies basically because there were so many lawsuits out there the states did not want to abruptly just start to switch things out slowly the wheel started turning agency by agency state by state depending on their caseloads becomes more fluid It is easier now to write policy because you're putting the officer's limitations, what they can and cannot do. It's easier now to train officers also. It now has a mind of its own. As the court systems and specifically the Supreme Court is deciding these cases, they are forming in front of our very eyes the police standard of force. So when we look at the incident that happened in Atlanta in the parking lot of Wendy's, a lot of people 
have a problem with that and said, well, officer can't shoot a person in the back. And we stated on one episode, that's not necessarily true. Not that the officer deliberately shot him in the back, but anybody knows if you're active shooter, right, you're into guns, from what you see through your weapons sights, by the time you press the trigger and the round goes down range, might be one, two, maybe three seconds, that person would have turned. So Force Science Institute has taught us all kinds of scientific uh, data and evidence to, to know that that isn't necessarily correct. Now, in the incident, the subject in Atlanta, I'm talking about the subject turned around with what we believe was the taser and what the officer most likely believed was his taser too. He wasn't sure though, Doesn't wasn't sure. And we can debate that incident day in and day out, but the courts have already done that debating for us, saying the officer did not have any limitations in executing deadly force based on what happened there. And weapon was pointed. So out of the admission of the district attorney of the area, that buffoon, he said that a taser in one case was a deadly weapon. Georgia law regards a taser as a deadly weapon. So all of a sudden you can't make it non-deadly. Okay? Words matter, and things that are in law are important. So we're slowly getting towards inconsistencies now. Now, we went from a curriculum of continuum that was very confusing. Officer has to do as a subject does. That means the officer is always on the defensive. In other words, you're a professional paid punching bag. You can't hit until you're hit. All of a sudden, we go into amendment force that says, no, there are factors that the officer can execute force based on what they know and what they know at the time, not what they might learn later. So now force is taking shape and we'll continue in our journey right after this very important public information announcement. Want to give a friend a ride? Not so fast. Your friend might be crazy. <laughs> now, before you let your friend in your car, ask him these questions. Do you have a gun? Do you have drugs? Do you have any warrants? And in case you do get pulled over by the cops... License and registration, please. Remind your friend to do this one thing. Shut the fuck up. Man, don't give him shit. What the fuck you want? Now, how can we walk away from 20 years of work? We stated that the last case was in 1989 in Graham versus Connor. And the states took a long time to come aboard. 
So we're looking at around a, a decade, a 10-year period. So we're now in the year 1999, maybe 2000, and all these court cases now have formed a perfect uh, scenario on a teaching amendment force. And the agencies start writing policy and enacting it. We can go into other administrations, and I'm trying to try to take the politics out of it. But the prior administration did the 21st century on policing. It was a committee, and they looked at taking away the warrior spirit from the officer and giving us of the officer more of a ethos of serving, servienthood, which is okay. I um, think there was a lot of time, money, and resources spent on something that is common knowledge. But nevertheless, the real premise of the 21st century policing was to kick officers right in the growing and tell them that they're not to be warriors. And now the prior administration is also doing a lot of cases with the Department of Justice and coming up with consent decrees on agencies that are bending civil rights. And it becomes now back into this muddied water or inconsistency of policy. Courts say one thing, we're trying to do what they want, and now we end up with you're not doing it correctly. So here we are, we're 20 years into all this work. We just can't walk away, and you're not going to because there's so much case law that backs these agencies up. Even the wacky mayors, if they wanted to incorporate this stuff, the city attorneys or county attorneys or state attorneys would tell the respective government, are you crazy? Are you a lunatic? Are you a registered Democrat? There's no way we can walk away from this because look at all the case law. When you look at ECD, which is the electronic control devices, like Taser and so forth, there are eight, 900 cases that you, agencies can fall back on on why they use the Taser. So Amendment Force is something that really helps police agencies and officers taking the responsibility off of them, the initial officer on the street, and putting it on the department by writing a policy based on what came out of certain court cases. So with this new doctrine, we now in law enforcement have to have annual updates to any changes where before you might have had a standard like continuum force 
and you looked at the little chart, and man, maybe you changed the color coordinations of it, but it was gray. It was carved in stone. With amendment force, it's not, because if there's a landmark case in the district that you're in, it would be essential of that department to cover it in their policy. So now this is turned into a yearly review. I think it worked a lot better for departments because they had to be on pins and needles. And the standard was becoming more and more difficult to take away. You might have heard the term qualified immunity. And I believe it's one state, the state of Colorado, has banded qualified immunity. Well, I'm here to tell you that this is a failed attempt from the communist left. And the state of Colorado is going to get their ass handed to them because there are hundreds and thousands of court cases on qualified immunity. And now, this is not because the Supreme Court said it was based on doctrine and not a law. Yeah. And so did eight, nine, a thousand other cases. And to remove that and all of a sudden say the Jedi mind trick, you will revert back to continuum force, is not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, 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 hard on the evidence. And the only way that the courts, the courts, let me say that one more time, the courts are not going to change their rulings based on politics. Their rulings are based on the law. And you'd have to change the law. And that's going to be monumental in itself. So, a lot of these are political points to score with people that are uneducated, whoever they are. I'm not saying any specific individuals. Education or knowledge is power. This is why we do what we're doing on this podcast, to inform you and give you the power of understanding why law enforcement is in the role it's in today. Don't take, you know, that you're going to get it on CNN. Okay, so here we go. All right, so now we I, I can't wait. We're going to hit the eight can't wait right after this very important public announcement. Here's a tip you should never forget. If your woman is mad at you, leave her at home. Because a mad woman will say anything. He got weed! He got weed! If your woman is mad at you, there's nothing she'd like to see more than you getting your ass kicked. That's right! The A can't wait, and I couldn't wait to take it apart. All right, so let's take a look at some of the wackiness of the A can't wait campaign, which in its itself comes from a very concerning source and in their logical world think about this imagine 
no one's a plumber and they want to tell every plumber in America how to fix something in plumbing or carpenter or mechanic. Get the point? All right. Number one, ban chokeholds and strangleholds. And when you say ban, it was not a good word. Now, through the executive order that President Trump has enacted, it says, except in, and that is the word that the officers need. You don't know. Use of force is fluid and dynamic. It changes. Look at the incident at the um, Wendy's parking lot. They were called drill, they were nice to each other. Next day, you know, the fight started and ensued on the ground. Three of them are rolling around. The subject disarms an officer and it turns into a deadly shooting. So it went from a cordial event to death in fractions of seconds. So when you say ban something, you're not giving officers First, you're not respecting them, and second, you're not giving them the options they need in their toolbox. If they have to protect their life or the life of somebody else by putting a subject in a chokehold, sucks to be the subject. So, many states and many agencies, better said, have banned chokeholds. My agency, back in the early 90s, had banned chokeholds. I remember it was a big outcry. Nobody understood why. And we went many, many years without having it. Now, were subjects placed in chokeholds? No, they were placed in headlocks. See how that See how that change happened? And it wasn't around the neck. It was around the head. Later, uh, the agency I worked for created the LVNR, which was a lateral vascular neck restraint move that didn't really put pressure and I'm not going to get into the politics of it but it's been banned now right and but the officers need to know how to incapacitate somebody in case of great bodily harm so that was a no-brainer required de-escalation you get that in basic training um, you're taught in your career to give loud verbal commands. The reason you're giving loud verbal commands is not so much for the subject than it is for the witnesses. So I tell a lot of people that are civilians that are maybe carrying a concealed weapon, if they engage a subject before you engage them, make sure you get your cell phone dial 911 and tell the operator what you're about to do, if you can. Why? going to safeguard you don't hang up the phone drop the phone don't worry it's just an uh, an item you can replace it if you break it drop the phone leave the line open and give those loud verbal commands it's going to be recorded people are going to hear it from the jury box you screaming out don't move put your hands up don't come any closer so forth right so when we say require de-escalation, it makes it sound like it's never been there. It has. Shame on a lot of agencies that have not practiced this. Now, I said in the last episode, and I'm going to repeat it again, 
loudly because my email most definitely is in some high-level command people's email archives where I advocated for de-escalation as a four-hour course standing on its own merit, and it never happened. There are two forms of de-escalation. De-escalation is used in CIT with mentally ill. That's a totally different de-escalation than in use of force, which means to de-escalate the force. Same terminology. I wish it wasn't, but it, it's, it's apples and oranges in a basket. So that statement is improper right there. Uh, require a warning before shooting. Again, this is a no-brainer. You take your course in firearms, and um, when you have discretionary shooting and you're told, you know, you, you, the, the target turns... And it could be a good guy, a bad guy. If it's a bad guy, you got to confront them. You know, it could be holding the knife to the good guy. The silhouette is. And you have to instruct the ones to hear loud verbal commands from you. Drop the knife, drop the knife, and so forth. So this is given, and officers have been taught this. So this is repetitive BS also. Exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Duh. Duh. So apparently they're making an assumption that officers are quick shots. Now, some mental midgets will point to the incident in Wendy's in Georgia and say, well, the officer should have exhausted all measures. Maybe he would have stopped running. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe Santa Claus would have came to my house on the 25th of December. But when he turned with the taser, pointed it at the officer and attempted to shoot, and the officer was not really sure what it was. And again, you might say, well, how do you know you went there? You don't know what he's going to say. That's what the lawyer's going to say. He shot. Because a taser is a deadly weapon in the state of Georgia. You can't, words matter, right? So exhaust all means, I guess that's common sense. There has to be a threat presented to the officer in order for them to shoot. Has this incident happened without a threat being present? Of course it has. You deal with them respectfully. You have to have the three elements, ability, opportunity, and intent. And the three of them together is a justified shooting. Okay? All right, let's go on to the next one. Duty to intervene. State statute. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this in the United States of America, look up to see if your state has a mandatory statute that officers have a duty to intervene in the commission of a felony. Duh. And they do. So, this is another BS propaganda. Banned shooting at moving vehicles. Really? So... I stated in another episode, I had scored a 99 on my law when I was in the academy. I don't profess being a lawyer and I don't play one on TV, but I ain't that stupid when it comes to the law. And when we were taught this in the academy, you can't shoot at a moving vehicle. I raised my hand. I told the instructor, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, let's say the car is coming towards you. He goes, no, but you, you, you know, you can't shoot because, you know, your shot might not be accurate. 
And I said, well, wait, man, you're down an alley. You know, you, there's nowhere for you to go. The car's going to hit you. And he got upset that I kept on pushing him on the answer. And he said, look, look, take it from me. You can't do it. And that was it. That's, that's how he handled it. And that was wrong. But the answer would have been, if you shoot the vehicle or the subject, better said, it won't stop the outcome. That doesn't mean you need to get run over. You also need to stop their projection, right? They run you over, kill you, and then they go and run somebody else over. So this is like the chokehold thing. This is a no-brainer. In the act of a deadly force situation, yes, you should be able to. The terrorists all around the world must be looking at the ACAN weight, trying to manipulate how they're going to work it out when they do the terrorist attack. All right, where are we up to now? Established use of force uh, continuum. Well, this is what this podcast is about. Continuum started in the 60s after the civil rights and all that. And uh, the 70s, it blows up. Charts are created. Officer's presence, verbal encounter, all that other stuff. Subject does, officer does. Charts are created. Agencies are creating their own vision of what the force should be. And the charts and everything was done as a training aid for instructors. And they're slapping it inside policies. It was so confusing. Officers did not understand when, what to do. Today, the amendment force clearly tells an officer what they can't and what they can do. So established use of force continuum causes inconsistencies in policies. Therefore, leftist lawyers, lawyers can sue, 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 causing more problems for officers. 20 years of work cannot go down the drain, folks. It needs to stay alive and there are thousands of court cases to back it up. All right, and the last one, require all force be reported. Come on, that's a no-brainer. You don't get into a shootout and go, you know what, I'm not going to make a report. i got to go home, and you're just going to go home. It's a mandate and policy. It's a mandate on statute and deadly force encounters. You would have to be a raving lunatic not to report it. Report writing is one of the most important aspects of policing, especially in a use of force situation. What I will say that police officers suffer from one thing that corrections doesn't. Because corrections is under an Eighth Amendment uh of care, custody, and control, and uh, due process, and, and, and so forth. They are more scrutinized when it comes to force. So their forces, use of forces are more detailed. Any encounter is somewhat written. Police officers, and you might have noticed it in the uh, riots, they're pushing, shoving, hitting people. They're hitting people with batons. None of that is being written up. Well, it's a fluid and dynamic system. You can't. Look, I think 
you can try to bring the subject into custody. But an officer clubs somebody over the head, they shouldn't be going home with the, with the head and skull broken open. They should be placed in custody. That Why'd you hit them? And that is a huge deficiency that police have over corrections. Corrections closes that by writing it. And the point I'm going to make in, in, in all this is how do agencies go forward? Amendment force is going to be attacked. And we talked about qualified immunity is not going anywhere. So I think police officers need to start, police departments need to start looking at what corrections is under in the Kingsley ruling and throwing in that aspect of the Eighth Amendment, the due process and, and so forth, and the right of care, care and custody. And I think when they start adopting that and these court cases, police will have a very, very effective use of force policy and training model. Right now, there are still areas that are concerning, but not impossible. I think there are a lot of good professionals out there. I, a lot of the information that I'm giving you today is on our show notes from Eric Digel and the Digel uh, Law Group. I've followed him for many years, and he's a great uh, source of uh, information for officers. Lawyer, was a police officer too. Connecticut State Police and uh, so he's he lived the experience and he knows about it there's also another group out there the Americans of Effective Law Enforcement and there's a lot of ruling on police and corrections use of forces and then I'll post that on the show notes also under the reference so you guys can look at some of that information this is a very complex this is like telling a surgeon what tools he'll be using and then presenting some rubber mallets and hacksaws and not surgical instruments. This is lunacy. Way too fast, the agencies are making these decisions in the states and changing laws. This is crazy. So with that being said... Stop immediately. Turn that shit off. Be polite. Shut the fuck up. And last but not least, don't ride with a mad woman. If you follow these simple pointers, you probably won't get your ass kicked by the police. All right, so where do we stand now? We stand in that we are in transition. And transmission transition means that their agencies are making blunderous moves in writing certain policy that they're going to have to reverse later. It means that there's a political aspect to some of these decisions that are being made and policies that need to be written. And there's going to be some type of compromises. Police have a good foundation, solid foundation with hundreds, if not thousands, of court cases backing them up. The transition now 
needs to be pushed harder for continuous amendment force and making certain small, minute changes. Some politicians may even try to change laws. Fine. Cross that bridge when we get to it. But in the transition of amendment force, it's important that agency heads stay to what's been done for 20 years. Don't be an idiot and jump off the top floor of of the Empire State Building. Stay focused on what is legal and binding. You've got, I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV, but I'm not that stupid to do something that's outside of the law that protects my agency. So we've covered a lot and I hope that this is serves as an educational instrument to those that are hearing. Knowledge is power, like attorney Eric Digel says. And it's important when you're going to have an intelligent conversation to know what you're talking about. Too many people on social networking today, you see them out there babbling. You can't do this, you can't do that. The other day I was watching Fox News and I heard Geraldo Rivera say you can't shoot a guy in the back. It's not true because it's fluid and dynamic. Uh, I also heard Sean Hannity talking about, can we train the officers to do arm locks? And he's trying to demonstrate it on camera, saying that he's done judo and all this uh, martial arts for many years. He was embarrassing himself because officers are trained in defensive tactics. Here's where we can plug the gap. There are martial arts out there that would really benefit officers, such as Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, which is ground techniques. And the problem is, how do you get officers on a mat three and four times a week to do this during their career? You don't. You pay them a supplement. You identify these martial arts in schools that the agency can partner with. And as long as they are attending these courses, they get that supplemental income. Yeah, it has to be done. Same with shooting. You, you know, when you go to qualification rounds and firearms training, shooting at the silhouette doesn't mean it's training. It means you are proficient for the qualification cycle that you passed, but it wasn't training. Officers need to continue their training in shooting and so forth. There are proficiency skills that you'll lose. And officers, unfortunately, have taken what they learned in basic training when they were young and full of piss and vinegar. They pulled all that to the side and it went out the window. Some agencies don't practice what they preach. They don't have continuous defensive tactics training courses and stuff for officers to go to. Officers really don't want to do it. Here's here's a comment that I heard from a 30-year veteran just before I retired. And he was discussing 
the he was defensive tactics instructor and he was discussing the difference between correctional officers and police officers. And his own words were, correctional officers know how to fight because they don't have any secondary weaponry in jails. So when we teach them on the mat, these freaking people will bring the music to you. Police officers have become more and more um, sensitive to fighting and will go for a secondary weapon such as a taser before putting hands on a subject. Your hands are your primary tools and force. And there's what's been happening in the police world that officers are too quick to do things. I'm not being judgmental because sometimes you got to make quick decisions. But I'm seeing where they can benefit. So agencies paying the unions wake up. Ding dong. If the unions are awake, they need to start bargaining for these things where if an officer goes to a martial arts school, not martial arts, uh, you know, I, I, I did JKA Karate, which is Shotokan Karate, Japan Karate Association. You, you just don't do that for three years. And you got a black belt. <laughs> you got to continuously train. You lose a proficiency. And Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, which is very good for ground fighting. That incident that happened in the Wendy's in Atlanta never would have gotten to the point it got in the officers knew jiu-jitsu they would have pinned that guy on the ground he would have been done done but they didn't so how do i get these officers to do this pay them an incentive you know how much it costs to run a class so let's say you want to train 40 officers in defensive tactics every week it costed agency millions. Take those millions, put it in officers' pockets that are committed to doing these things. Incentivize them. Give them something for their effort. Okay? Because they're not a military organization that they're going to, you know, you're on the order of the command, you're going to go ahead and do it. They're not going to do it. You don't have to. Civil Service 101. So that's my suggestion. So hopefully you've uh, picked something up out of this, and uh, we will continue to have more courses on use of force as we go down the road. Remember, don't hate anybody. Love everybody. Remembering that our time here is short, and the decisions that we make today will determine the outcome of where we're going to go. It may be a joyous event or it may be a disaster in hell. As always, it has been my honor and pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, your community, the law enforcement agency that serves you. And most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. Happy 4th of July. Till we meet again.
Four three two three. Four three two three. Two thirteen twenty two. 